The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Thank you, Dan. Well, I have to say I'm impressed. With all the families that said they were going to be away this week, I was hoping at least 50 would show up. But this is great. It's good to see you all. Another year has come and gone. And for many of you, it was a pretty rough year. Uh, good to see Lynn here, who is recovering from her rough time. And uh, most of you probably have heard about Alex Jefferson. Uh, Alex sometimes sings with the worship team here when he's home from school. But this past week, at a climbing wall, fell 45 feet. And uh, lucky to survive, but his arm is destroyed. And uh, he's looking at about a two-year recovery. So we need to really lift him up and Coe and the family and um, um, just the amazing thing, and I won't go into any details, but uh, he severed his artery. And there just happened to be a doctor hike climbing next to him. And he got down, put a tourniquet right away, and that's what saved him. So God is in control of all things, isn't he? But you know, as, as the year has come and as it's gone and so many wonderful things have happened, the, the Lord has been so good to us here. He's been so good to many, all of us. And we look at a new year, and we look at it with tremendous anticipation. Um, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but 2017 will probably be like 2016, with frustrations and, and all the things that, uh, that the evil one does to try to bring us down. But the one constant is Jesus Christ. He is the one constant that will always lift us up. He is the one constant who will never leave us nor forsake us. And this morning, I want us to look at finding Jesus in 2017. But I want to look at it in a little bit different perspective. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, I just ask now that you would... Oh, just cleanse our hearts and, and wipe away all the things that might be dragging onto us and just cause us to look with new and greater anticipation. You love us. You love us with a cross. You love us for eternity. And those who have accepted you as Savior are hidden in your hands. Nothing can touch us. So may we look at this new year with a, a newfound desire and goal to walk with Christ. And I just pray that you'd bless us now this morning as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I begin with an unusual verse for a message on a new year, and it's Matthew 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now you might find it very curious to have a message on the new year begin with the Christmas story. But isn't that where it all begins? For most Christians, this past week has been one of nostalgia. The trees, the party, the gifts, 
the family getting together, all the things that we do, thinking back at Christmases in the past and the joys that we've had and, and uh, maybe even some difficulties we've gone through. And then, of course, the New Year's celebration, the parties, the dropping of the ball, the food and all the things and, and getting ready with all the New Year resolutions that won't make it a day or two, but we'll make them. It's a time when, when we really th- look back. And we probably do the same thing when we think back about the first Christmas. We think of this beautiful picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus laying in a manger and the shepherds all around worshiping and the animals. And it's such a comforting, warm picture. But of course, this was not good times. The age that witnessed the birth of Jesus Christ was a bad age. It is against the evil background and the evil days that Christ came into the world. Most periods of ancient history were bad in the sense that life was hard for everyone. Few people had money. Food was scarce. And usually there was some corrupt king or power that threatened life itself. And life was particularly bad in Judea during the later years of the reign of Herod the Great, the monster of the Christmas story. In fact, Caesar Augustus, who figured into the Christmas story, once commented that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Evil leaders fighting with themselves to try to rule people. No, these these were very difficult times. They were not good times that uh, Jesus was born to Mary in the far-off Judea in the age of, of King Herod's rule. They were days of poverty, danger, disease, and oppression. But it was precisely these times that wise men came to Judea seeking to find Jesus. It was not only the outward circumstances that made these times bad, however. Even more significant was the matters that had to do with the leadership in the time. Evil kings such as Herod. Herod was hostile. Herod was not transparent at all. In fact, when the Magi came to him inquiring about where they might find this Jesus, he said to them, look, come to me, let me know what you find, that I may go and worship him. He was very coy. And instead of inquiring of the priests and teachers, or instead of trying to to find out the truth, he goes straight to the priests and the teachers of the law And he asked them, look, where is this Messiah to be born? And the interesting thing is that these these priests and teachers, they didn't have to dig. They knew precisely the answer. They knew it very well. And they came to him and they told him that he was to be born in Bethlehem. So why was Herod so interested in these details? Well, the sequel of the story makes it quite clear because when the Magi didn't come back to him, he sent soldiers to kill every son, firstborn son, between the ages of two and younger. Why was Herod so hostile? He was an old man. What threat could a two-year-old child be to him? But of course, he was worrying about a rallying cry that might rally the people against his tyrannical rule. And I suppose there's probably an element of conviction about his own sins and what God might be doing to him. 
And then there was the calloused priests. The wise men had another obstacle in their attempt to find Jesus. It was the indifferent attitude of these priests and teachers of the law. These men were the religious professionals of their day. But like so many of their kind, religion had become more of a business to them. It was what they did to earn a living. The true things of God meant very little to them. So in many respects, their case is even sadder because as I said earlier, they knew exactly where the Messiah was to come. In fact, Matthew 2 verses 5 through 6, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. But they had no interest in the answers themselves. However, Herod was interested in a very perverse and wicked way. So what I want you and I to understand is that we live in similar times. The Magi did eventually find Jesus in spite of these difficulties. But I want all of us to understand that the bad times they encountered are not much different than where we're headed today. There is a growing hostility today that is becoming more and more outspoken in our culture. There are churches, Christian theology churches, who are settling for a brand of self-fulfillment and seeking rather a motivational ministry that keeps people from grasping the spirit-filled life. The message that comes from many pulpits today is about you and your best life and your fulfillment and your success. Apart from the supernatural work of God in a person's life, no one wants God over his or her own life. Any more than Herod wanted Jesus ruling his life. No matter the Messiah would do a better job and no matter that he promised to rule and reign and bring peace and prosperity, Herod resisted Jesus' rule for one reason only. He wanted to rule himself in the same way that the world today wants to rule itself. And unfortunately, if we're honest, we kind of want to rule ourselves as well. We like the things of the word. We like God. We like Jesus and what he means. But to many people, we still want to control our daily lives and our destiny. I was reading a, a devotional this week by A.W. Tozer, and he made this comment. He said, any appeal to the public in the name of Christ that rises no higher than an invitation to tranquility must be recognized as mere humanism with a few words of Jesus thrown in to make it appear Christian. Christ calls men to carry the cross. We call them to have fun in his name. He calls them to forsake the world. We assure them that if they accept Jesus, the world will be their oyster. He calls them to suffer. We call them to enjoy all the bulgarious comforts of modern civilization can afford. He calls them to self-abnegation and death. We call them to spread themselves like green bay trees or perchance even to become stars in a painful uh, fifth-rate religious zodiac. He calls them to holiness. We call them to cheap and towardly Happiness that would have been rejected with scorn by the least of the Stoic philosophers. We can afford to suffer now. 
we'll have a long eternity to enjoy ourselves and our enjoyment will be valid and pure for it will come in the right way and at the right time. You see, Christ calls us to abandon ourselves. He calls us to a life of absolute surrender. We, on the other hand, make make ideas and goals and plans that will cause our own personal success with little regard to whether that's what God wants or not. But Christ is calling all of us to a life of surrender. If we're honest, we would probably be happy just to run things our own way. And you know, according to Psalm 2, the kings and rulers of the earth take their stand against the Lord and his anointed one. Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. No one likes to be ruled. No one likes to be controlled. No one likes to be told how they should live their life. So the world will set up every possible barrier to you finding him. Personal ambition, ridicule, pleasure, the fast track to economic and professional success, fame, not to mention the ever-growing variety of religious options, if you must be religious. Maybe you have come far enough in your search to realize that the world is not friendly to those who are searching for Jesus. So you may have turned to the religious professionals. It's possible that you have even been hindered there. So as we move into 2017, are we finding Jesus? One of the great joys of the Christmas story is that the Magi in the end did find what they were seeking. They found Jesus. And as the story says in Matthew 2.11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. How did they find Jesus? Or to put it another way, why was their search successful? The answer is that they found Jesus exactly the same way you and I find him today. They were led to him by God. The reason their search was successful was that from the very beginning of their journey, when the star first appeared to them, God was in charge of their journey and was leading them to Jesus step by step. Now, there have been many theories as to what the star was, from a comet, to the aligning of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, or that God simply set some otherwise unexplainable celestial sign to guide them. But the important thing is this. It's not what the star was. Otherwise, God would have told us. The point is that God sent the star. Here is a star. In the case of the shepherds, it was an angel. Luke relates how aged Simeon was led to the temple by the Spirit at a time when Joseph and Mary were bringing Jesus for the required presentation in Luke 2, 27. 
People have been led to Christ in many ways. A book, a Bible verse, a catastrophe, a sickness, message, TV, and on and on. But the important thing is that all this leading is because of God. God is the one working in and through every one of us. Salvation is of the Lord. It is his work. That is why you can be encouraged in your search. Because the Bible is very clear in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. That is true whether the times are good or whether they're bad. So the key for you and I to understand is, is that if you're sitting here this morning and you've got this gnawing in your heart to know more, you can be assured that it is God who's placed it there. You can be assured that God is working in your life to draw you to him. Because the Bible is very clear that the will of God is that all men would follow him and yield everything to him. So you and I need to seek him while he may be found. Have you ever noticed the large number of Bible verses that talk about seeking God? Just a few of them. Isaiah 55 verses 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, the very things we're seeking in life have already been provided by God. Look at the last part of that passage. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. My God seeks to lavish compassion on you. He seeks to draw you to himself, to lavish his love upon you. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Is there anything in your life that's holding you back from surrender? Is there anything in your life that you look at and you go, man, you know, my life just hasn't been what it should be. Certainly God is not going to forgive me. Oh, on the contrary, if you're in Christ, it's already been forgiven because you are justified by faith and God looks at you through the blood of his son. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as savior, wouldn't you like to know that that forgiveness is there and freely offered to all who will come to him? he will abundantly pardon. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, he is the focus of my life. There is absolutely nothing in my life that will keep me from surrender to God. And when you seek that way, the, the Bible is abundantly clear. You will receive the Lord. Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. And Amos 5, 6. Seek the Lord and live. 
I don't think there's a simpler verse in all the scripture that embodies the gospel. Seek the Lord and live. You want life? Seek the Lord. You want eternal life? Come to Christ. You want abundant life here and now? Give your life to Christ. You see, the spirit-filled life is far more than just a mental ascent. It is a surrendering of the heart and allowing the spirit to live through us and guide us into all truth. Now, I'm also aware that the Bible teaches that no one naturally seeks God for himself or herself. Romans 3, verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Wait a minute, you just told me to seek for God, and now you're telling me nobody seeks God. You see, if we find ourselves seeking, again, it is because God is already working in our lives. And that is immensely encouraging because as in the case of the Magi, God is already leading you to him. He is leading you there. So when the Magi saw the star and they went to find Jesus, the plan was put into effect and they would succeed. And when the spirit puts it in your heart to seek God, when you surrender, you will succeed. It's not up for hope or chance. It is an absolute truth of the scriptures. Now there's two keys that I want you to see here. First, although you are seeking him, God has already done the really hard part by bringing Jesus to you. That is what the incarnation is about. The wise men traveled a great distance to find Jesus, but Jesus had already made the even longer trip from heaven to earth, from the throne of glory to the stable, that Jesus might be found. He has become as accessible as your next door neighbor because he came for you. We are not trying to find him. He's already come for us. And when he came that day on, in, to, to the manger and took on the form of man and lived and then died on the cross to pay for our sins, he put into work that plan that secures the eternal future of all who come to Christ. That is the beauty of the Christmas story. And that is the overwhelming beauty of coming into a brand new year. Knowing that from this day one, no matter what this life will throw at you, no matter what the world will dump on you, in Christ, you cannot lose. You simply can't lose. Your surrender to him puts him as Lord of your life. And when he is Lord of your life, you are following his plan. And sure, it may take you through dark days. It may take you through difficult times, but always through his permissive will. Always through his guiding and directing you for a greater purpose that you and I don't know. But he is working in you. Secondly, I want to encourage you by this. The story of the Magi. Jesus was found by those who initially were far from him and who had no share in the Messiah. I mean, think about this. They came from the east. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They had no Bibles. They more than likely were pagans. 
worshiping idols, but God was working in them and they eventually found him. So think about this. Why would God call three pagan wise men who had nothing to do with God whatsoever, but were called to be his people? You see, the beautiful example of the Magi is we see God opening up salvation to all men. This wasn't a closed group of Jewish people. The Magi were pagan wise men from a foreign country. And they came seeking Christ. All of us here today, no matter what your background or who you are, he is calling you to come and worship him. You see, the Magi were from far away. The priests were from very near. The Magi found him. The priests did not. You are never too far away. You are never too bad. You've never committed sin so horrific that Christ can't forgive you. But you must come. You must seek him. Shouldn't that encourage you today? But I do want to give you a warning. If I take you back to Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's coming a day when the opportunity will cease. For some, it might cease this very day. You see, God is merciful and he has given us his word and he's thrown out the call to all men. But if you reject the call, it doesn't last forever. God is omnipotent. He knows all things. He's ordered the days and the lives of all of us. But he's calling you today to come to him. The times are going fast for sure. What will 2017 hold for you? Whether you're a Christian or not, Will it be a year of intense searching? Will it be a year where you decide enough is enough? I've tried to run my life as best I can. And up to this point, there's too many gaps. Will this be the year when you get down on your knees and you say, God, I can't do it, but I know you can. I'm not capable of running my life the way it should be run. I'm just giving it to you. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ. I want you to understand that Christ wants a relationship with you. And I've said this a lot, and for those of you who are here regularly, just permit me for a minute. But when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them in his image For fellowship. He created them for fellowship so that they could bring glory to him and to make sure that they weren't robots and that they would choose to love Christ. He put a tree in the middle of the garden and said, don't touch it. Everything else you can have but that one tree. And the reason he did it was so that man could choose to love him through obedience. 
but we all know he, they, they blew it. They got dissuaded. They got thinking about things, and they sinned. And because of that sin, they plunged all humanity into a Christless eternity. From that point forth, every man, woman, child ever born was on the pathway to hell. God could have just wiped them out and started over, but he didn't. Because within Adam and Eve was the seed of you and me. And before the foundation of the world, he already loved us. So that wasn't going to work. So what he did was he put a plan in effect to save us from ourselves. And on that day, 2,000 years ago, when Christ went to the cross and died, his death paid the sacrificial debt for your sin and mine. And all he's saying to you here this morning, if you've never accepted him, is look, here's the gift. It's free. Take it. What a year would this be knowing that if you accept Christ today, your eternity has begun and you will forever be with Christ. Now, you may be here and you're a Christian and you've been Christian for years and years and years, but if you're honest with yourself and you think, you know, every day I just pretty much do my thing. I pretty much walk through life and, and do the things I do. What would happen if I obeyed the scriptures and I said, you know what, God, <laughs> I'm done. I want to know what it's like to be led by you. And this moment, I surrender everything to you. I surrender my life, my loved ones, my bank account, my possessions, everything I have, I surrender to you. You do with it whatever you choose. Now that's a scary prayer because maybe he'll take you up in ways you weren't expecting. But I tell you what, I can assure you by the word of God and by personal experience, he will never fail you. He will always lead you through for his glory. And when that faithful day comes, when your life is over, either by death or by rapture, you'll be able to stand before him on that day and know I walk with Christ and everything I had was his. Wouldn't that be a spectacular way to start 2017? Do you hunger for him and his word? Are you willing to step out in faith and say, Christ, here I am. That's my challenge this morning that all of us would find Jesus as the wise men did, who sought him and would not stop until they found him. May we have that same desire this year to seek him relentlessly, to pour over the scriptures, to pray, to every day get up and give him our lives before we step out of the bed, to say, you must increase, I must decrease. I'm yours, you do with me whatever you will, and to God be the glory. I'll tell you, this community will not be able to contain us with that kind of surrender because Almighty God knows what he's doing. Amen? Trust him this day as we begin our year. And Father, I just thank you for...
the blessedness of 2017. I, I thank you for the trials. I thank you for the joys. I thank you for the pain. I thank you for the sorrow. I thank you for all that you've done in and through us in spite of ourselves. But may we unite together as a church, as your people, to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And may you have full sway over our lives completely. And I would just like to say, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that you would draw them to us and give us the opportunity to sit down and show them how they can be assured of their salvation. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, for who you are, and all that you will yet do. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.